1 through 31. 1 through 31, yes. Okay. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus that if he should find anyone belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, when he was approaching Damascus, a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter this city, and it will be told you what you must do. And the men traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And they, leading him by the hand, took him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias! And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him that he might receive his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much harm he has done to the saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the, from the high priest to bind all that call upon your name. And the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. And I must show him what he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying hands on him, he said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord whom you encountered on the, the Lord Jesus, whom you encountered on the road, sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. And he got up and he was baptized. And he took food and was strengthened. And now he was with the disciples in Damascus for several days. And immediately he began to proclaim the name of Jesus in the synagogues, 
saying he is the Son of God. Now all those hearing him were amazed, saying, Is this not he who came to Jerusalem, destroyed those in Jerusalem, and came with the purpose of binding them and bringing them before the high priest? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews in Damascus and proving that Jesus is the Messiah. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but the plot became known to him. And they were watching the gates day and night wanting to put him to death. But the disciples took him by night and led him him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and recounted to them how he had met Jesus on the road and had talked with him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. And and he was with them and moving about freely in Jerusalem he, spoke, he was speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he talked with and argued with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. When the brethren heard of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. And the church throughout all Judea and Galilee And Samaria enjoyed peace and comfort, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it began to increase. Brother Don has recently been involved in scriptorium gathering uh, in Arkansas with the Pentamone family, and I knew that he had memorized all of Acts chapter 9. He didn't ask me if he could share. I asked him if he would recite that by memory. He wasn't using any notes, as you could tell. It's not just our 6- and 8- and 10-year-old Awana children who can memorize the Word of God. And so that is both uh, invigorating for me and a bit embarrassing for me also, maybe for you as well, that I am not applying myself more to memorization. Thank you so much, Don. I shared with him that I was going to be 
in Acts chapter 9 this evening. And if you'd make your way to Acts chapter 9, in our evangelism, evangelism episodes, you will see that we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 in this chapter, message I've titled The Chronology of Conversion. That is, the, the mechanism, the steps, if you will, from, uh, from a person going from absolutely uh, uh, an antichrist against Christ to being a proclaimer of the gospel in Christ. We've uh, been speaking and looking at evangelism episodes in the book of Acts, and chapter 9 begins a major uh, section in the book of Acts because it turns the corner toward the emphasis being with the with Saul of Tarsus, later to become the Apostle Paul, as you know. And this account deals with his salvation. He thought he could see fine uh, up to that point, but in fact, the physical blindness just manifested or, or, or demonstrated what he was all along, spiritually blind. And then, of course, he was able to receive spiritual sight and be able to see clearly for the first time in his life. Don read verses 1 through 9. That's where we will be if you will make your way there. Four points I'd like us to consider about the chronology of con, uh, conversion uh, using Paul, Saul, uh, at that point, uh, as, a, as our template. First of all, we see Saul was confronted as a sinner. He was heading toward Damascus with papers of authority from the chief priest saying, yes, you can try to find any who name the name of Christ, and by the way, bring them back to Jerusalem so we can do something with them. In chapter 8, he was, uh, check that, in chapter 7, he was consenting unto the death of Stephen, and he was hailing, dragging believers out of their houses. And so Saul of Tarsus was truly one who was, in the eyes of the Lord, um, in the eyes of other believers, truly one who was an intimidator. He was a persecutor, absolutely a sinner. In verses 1 through 3, um, the Lord confronts him in this. Now, when God sets out to save a person, um, he comes to that person, and he timidly knocks at the door and says, Hello, I'm Jesus. May I beg your pardon and interrupt your life for just a moment and respectfully request that you give me your attention, please? Not. (laughs) That is not at all what he did. Uh, uh, He didn't do that then. He didn't do that with me. And I, I would imagine he did not do that with you. You were going along your merry way, just as was I. I was a young adult. And all of a sudden, for no rhyme or reason, I'm I'm aware that I am not in right standing with the Lord. That is, in fact, the condemnation of God was hovering over me. I, I wasn't looking for that. I didn't, I didn't know that that was even a reality, and Saul of Tarsus didn't either. Why is that? Well, mankind in general believes he's doing okay. Well, I'm going to, uh, uh, my, my good works are, are going to be measured here, and here are some bad things I've done, but my good works, I know that they're better, and God's going to see that. He's going to take that into uh, uh, consideration. Therefore, I will be okay. That's simply how lost people, by and large, understand their standing before the Lord, whereas Romans 3, 11, 12, and 18 gives a summation of how the lost 
really are characterized. And it says in that text, there's none that understands. None seek after God. They're all gone out of the way, out of his way, the way of righteousness. They are together become unprofitable. That is, all of the good things lumped together still is unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. No fear of God. Not a fear of the true and living God before their eyes. Well, that was the condition of the heart of Saul of Tarsus. Thought he was doing just fine. <clears throat> Actually believed he was doing God a favor in, uh, in hunting down these Christians. In fact, in sharing his testimony before King Agrippa in Acts 26, verses 9 and 10, it says that uh, I thought my, uh, within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to uh, uh, the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did. And so, folks, <clears throat> before there was any hope of Saul of Tarsus being forgiven, being redeemed, being saved, he had to be confronted in his sin, because until that happens, a, a person doesn't know he's lost. You don't know that you need a physician until you recognize uh, the terminal illness that you have, and then you would seek out help. He had to recognize that. Now, that begs the question, how do you show him? How do you show that lost person, that co-worker, that neighbor, that family member? By pressing God's law upon the heart. By simply opening up Exodus chapter 20 and saying, okay, let's go down these Ten Commandments and see how well you measure up. What is your standing in light of the Ten Commandments? Uh, and of course, anyone who is rational, anyone who is honest <clears throat> will say, I fall well short of that. In fact, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you press the law upon the heart, uh, the mind of an unbeliever. Share God's standard of perfection. Matthew chapter 5, uh, we, I preached on it uh, weeks ago. The very last verse of chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect. If you want to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you must be perfect. And then you say, well, perfect by what standard? Even as your Father in heaven is perfect. You have to be godlike if you're going to get there on your own. And so, <clears throat> Saul of Tarsus came to a point of recognizing with a face-to-face -face confrontation with the Lord Jesus, uh, his lost condition. And then we see in verses 4 and 5, Saul was convicted by this. Look at verses 4 and 5. <laughs> he fell to the earth, uh, uh, heard a voice crying out to him, saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who art thou? Uh, Lord, notice the emphatic repetition of Saul's name. Christ brings conviction uh, uh, individually, personally. You, Saul, are guilty. You are the one who has violated my law. Not just in a generic sense that the, uh, the world is guilty before God, but there was a very specific uh, conviction laid upon the heart <clears throat> of that sinner. Well, those around him were not affected, not particularly. Um, they didn't hear this voice because God called and convicted only Saul. At least the text says uh, that he called and he convicted only Saul at that particular time. And Saul was the one who responded. When I got saved, uh, uh, I was the only one within the, the realm of those who were uh, receiving a witness 
who got saved at that time. Now, maybe others did at a later time, maybe others did before, but at that particular moment, conversion took place for me personally, individually, because I was personally, individually convicted. That was the case with Saul of Tarsus. Notice verse 5, Jesus said, and, and he sees the heart. He said, it's hard for you to kick, to resist, to rebel against the pricks, the goads, that which is uh, stinging your guilty conscience. You know that you are guilty before God, uh, which is why we use apologetics. We demonstrate uh, through, through science, through uh, one's conscience, through fulfilled prophecy that what God says is actual and is real and, uh, and that uh, we apply that to the heart and mind of a lost person. So Saul was committed to denouncing Christ and trouncing Christians and Jesus said, you can kick uh, until the cows come home, but it's not going to do you any good. He was burning that conviction into the heart of that lost sinner. Folks, 46 years ago, I was overwhelmed with conviction of sin, with dread, with that haunting uh, awareness that I am guilty before God. I mean, I felt like I was dirty and naked, and there, wasn't, there weren't any fig leaves around, as Adam and Eve thought that they could cover, and of course they couldn't. Um, that's exactly, that's precisely how I felt, and I trust how you were to some degree. Now I understand, and I recognize that being saved out of the gutter as an adult, it's, it's probably more vivid for me than it is if you were saved as a six-year-old, um, and you didn't express your depravity to the degree that I did openly and publicly, right? Can any children who were saved, you can, you identify with that more. But the fact of the matter is, you were still a rebel against God in your own heart, amen? And needed to be forgiven. And so depravity is depravity. Lostness is lostness. And uh, no matter what uh, your experience was, Saul was convicted. He was eaten up by his guilty conscience. You know, I've heard uh, and uh, I'm purposing to, uh, to, to step in the middle of such a, a testimony that I, if I ever hear this anymore, but I've heard people testify in seemingly very self-serving ways that, uh, about becoming a Christian, coming to Christ. Comments such as, well, God had been after me for a long time. I, was a, I wasn't a good guy. I, was a, I wasn't a good old boy. And so I finally uh, went ahead and decided to let him have me. What? You let him have you? <laughs> Hardly take that person to Acts chapter 9. Uh, Jesus didn't timidly knock at the door. He blew the door open and said, I am Jesus and you are persecuting me. And Saul must have taken a big gulp, a big swallow, uh, saying, uh-oh, I'm found out. <clears throat> None of us did God any favors in getting saved. He did us an infinite favor of grace in coming upon our hearts. So, you need to be made aware of your lost condition as you share with folks. You're asking the Spirit of God to bring conviction. I tell you, I've been stopped between point A and B so many times I can't even count, where I will speak to a lost person and the light doesn't shine. And notice in our text here that the light uh, what does it say? Uh, shown above, uh, around about him, a light from heaven. Um, 
And it blinded him uh, in the sense of being able to see anything else. And I've witnessed to folks, and you can just simply see, uh, there is nothing registering, not in a conviction sense. Oh, intellectually, people understand words, but not in a convicting sense. What do you do about that kind of a situation? You pray and you keep on sowing seed, and you sow seed the next year. And you didn't get a harvest this year, you, you pray and you ask God to, to soften and break up the fallow ground, that hard ground uh, that needs to be plowed. Well, only God can plow in a heart. And so you just keep crying out to the Lord for that as long as you have breath, and that person has breath, he or she is within the arm of God's grace. Amen? And so that's our calling. We don't give up. We're not going to be weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we don't faint. So you're not controlling that. You're not making that happen. You're simply accessing uh, the, the uh, tools God has given in order to see someone come to know the Lord. So he was convicted. And then notice in verse 6, the first part of verse 6, Saul was converted to being a saint. You say, how do you know that? Because he said, the very first part of verse 6, Lord, (laughs) is this you? Are you speaking to me? In other words, he believed. Uh, He was converted. He was changed. And the transaction took place in his heart which is where it always takes place for every sinner who is converted. For Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness. That is, you're justified. Um, And with the mouth confession is made unto or because of salvation. You actually say, yes, Lord. Now, with the mouth meaning... um, uh, not necessarily audibly uh, when, uh, when you were saved, but, um, but it will be shared uh, with those a- around you. There's a, a, there's a very a strong question mark upon the genuineness of, of uh, birth if you don't hear anything from that one. You, do you all follow that? When a baby is born, the baby what? Let's out some, some hollers, right? And if, and if that baby had, uh, could articulate and had a vocabulary, would tell you exactly what's up. Well, when a sinner is born into being a saint, uh, there will be, uh, in fact, a testimony of that. You know, it's amazing to consider what happened at Saul's conversion. He was changed, converted from a sinner to a saint. That is no longer self-righteousness, but Christ-righteousness. He was clothed in Christ-righteousness. He was converted from a Hebrew of the Hebrews to be an apostle of the Gentiles. (laughs) Go figure! He was hating Christ in the church as a zealous Jew, only to then be hungry for the souls primarily of Gentiles. Uh, And planting most of the churches in the New Testament that that are discussed. He was converted from a legalistic Pharisee to a proclaimer of grace. He was going about trying to apprehend the followers of Christ only to be apprehended by Christ himself. It's just an amazing conversion. But your conversion is no less dramatic, no less amazing, and no less miraculous because God in you took deadness and brought life, took depravity and, and infused righteousness by faith. All of us who know him have Romans, uh, uh, Acts 9 
conversions because what was once blind can now see. What was once dead is now alive. Salvation is a dramatic miracle of God, and only he does it. And so we see Saul was converted and now is a fellow saint. What happened? Well, as Don read, the end of verse 6 through verse 9, Saul was commissioned as a servant of the Lord. In other words, he was given marching orders. Now, note, I want you to take note of the lengthy time, of the months and years in time from the point of salvation to obedient living. See, I'm, I, I'm using some sarcasm. Uh, to, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the most serious, uh, non-sarcastic person around. Even that is sarcasm. <laughs> no, there wasn't any elapsed time. His obedience was instantaneous. He immediately obeyed in the heart, and it played out in action. To hear some testimonies, one might think that obedience to Christ is optional. In fact, uh, there's a book by a well-known uh, scholar uh, at, a, uh, at a tremendous seminary that actually teaches discipleship is optional in the life of a believer. You can believe on Christ for salvation and then at a later time opt for discipleship. Folks, his lordship and his saviorhood is not a dichotomy. I can't take piecemeal. Say, well, I'll take a little, uh, I'll take a little bit of forgiveness of sin, but as far as actually following him as my Lord, uh, I, maybe I'll opt for that later. No, there, not, no one's given that prerogative. He is Lord and Savior of those who genuinely call upon him. If you've been made new by him, you are different. You have a new nature. Saul, a Christ-hater, and now a Christ-lover. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 15, nothing new uh, in the New Testament here. If you love me, keep my commandments. You're going to follow me. And John uh, 14, 15 says that. And John 15, 14, just the flipping of those numbers, says very much the same thing. You're my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, I'm not talking about practical perfection, uh, and you know that. You're not practically perfect now, and at the point of salvation, you weren't either. But your heart was changed. Folks, I'm telling you, I did not have a scintilla of interest in the things of righteousness, hungering and thirsting after God before salvation. And then the moment I was born, I was making it known that I was alive, just like your newborn child, your newborn grandchildren does that as well. If there is life, there will be activity, which manifests or demonstrates that there actually is life. Amen? And so that was the case with Saul of Tarsus to become the Apostle Paul. He was still dust, just like you are, just like I am, but Scripture is abundantly clear that if you are saved by grace through faith, you've also been, or, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you've also been ordained, Ephesians 2, 10, unto good works. And in fact, uh, it, um, it says there in Ephesians 2, 10, for we are his workmanship. You all remember what I've told you before is the Greek word there? It's the word for poetry. You are his piece of art, uh, created, ordained, unto good works. And so a piece of art does what the artist prescribes, right? The Mona Lisa, she is a spooky gal, by the way. 
Everybody seen, anybody seen Mona in the Louvre? Say again. <laughs> anybody seen her live? She followed you everywhere you went, didn't she? I'm telling you, when you're in that room, she's looking at you. If you're over here, she's looking at you. If you walk over here and you watch her eyes, she's looking at you the whole time. It's truly amazing. The point is, uh, is that Da Vinci? Did he paint the Mona Lisa? Who? Yeah, thought I was right. He, he told her to do that. She didn't say, wait a minute. I want to creep people out for the next few hundred years. Make me watch them as, uh, no. He, <laughs> I don't have any of this in my notes. <laughs> He designed in his brilliance her to do that. Well, God in his brilliance says that my lump of clay that I'm going to fashion into a living being spiritually, I am also equipping, gifting, calling for a certain function. Right? Um, Or else why am I still here? If he doesn't have me uh, active in serving him. So, it's not practical perfection. Of course, we are frail, just like our little ones are. uh, But we're growing toward him. Now, notice Saul's response. It was immediate. He didn't uh, delay. He got up. He headed to Damascus. uh, And uh, uh, then, with no further orders... He prays, adored the Lord for three days in prayer and fasting. It says that, go, go find a Saul. He's praying. And it said he hadn't eaten in three days. So he gave himself to prayerful fasting. Uh, remember, you know, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He understood about that. I fast three times in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. The Pharisees would brag about that. So he understood the biblical uh, principle and concept of prayerful fa- fasting. But it was genuine in his heart this time. And so he devoted himself to the Lord instantaneously, and he joyfully and he gratefully embraced God's call upon his life. The characteristics and the chronology of conversion. When you, and this is not evangelistic for you, very likely. This is so that you can take this template and you can apply it in the lives of those you know and be able to generally uh, have an understanding. Has the person been confronted uh, in his or her sin? Is there conviction? Is there a a sense, uh, or was there a sense uh, of dread and and guilt and condemnation that only the Lord can remove? Has the person, in fact, called upon Lord, as Saul did, and now is there a, a profound demonstrative change from what he once was, she once was, to what that person is now. Can anyone identify with these characteristics of conversion? Anybody here but me? A number of you can. This happened to you, and it happened to me. Uh, Brother Kairos, how old were you when this happened to you? So was I. I was 20. Sister Kairos, how old? Eight? Oh, oh, 18. Oh, eight. 
Uh, and, and Kathy, about 12 or 13. And Ellen, about how old? 21. And so every one of our backgrounds, and all of you, had different aspects. Maybe you weren't a religious persecutor. Maybe you were completely all-religious. Maybe you were uh, actively a heathen. Uh, maybe you were self-righteous. Maybe you were, uh, uh, grew up uh, at, at uh, the, the sitting on grandma's lap and, and her telling you the story of Jesus. Uh, and you believed, and, and it's different, it's unique for each one of us, but the fact of the matter is, if you are in fact saved, if you're a child of God, the Lord met you at that spot, revealed to you your need, granted repentance and faith, you called upon him from the heart, and conversion took place, and it is still manifesting fruit today. That is a message to share with those that God allows us to have some measure of witness, some measure of influence. Just take your friend, take your family member, and say, can we read nine verses? Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. <clears throat> Where do you see yourself in this? Ask the person. It, 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 person's probably not going to hit you or hate you for that. Maybe it will open the door to be able to share. The most religious guy in the known world at that time was struck down blind and humbled and convicted and called upon that one whom he hated up to that point um, and was granted everlasting life. And it was manifested immediately in faithful, heartfelt obedience to the Savior. Lord, I'm thankful for this text. What an exciting passage this is. It just uh, thrills my soul to, to read what happened with Saul of Tarsus to become the Apostle Paul and to remember in my life 46 years ago and just these who have shared. Some a decade ago, others 30 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, some uh, likely um, even much longer ago than that. But Lord, you did it the very same way, yet individually with us. We didn't get saved in mass. You called our heart, out to our hearts personally, individually. So, Lord, would you do that for those to whom we are sharing a testimony and a gospel witness? Lord, allow us to see fruit as we faithfully labor in the field Sowing, planting, watering, through the gospel being broadcast, through uh, intercessory prayer, believing you to do a great work, but only you can bring about a harvest and an increase. Just like putting the grain in the ground, doing exactly what we should be doing as a farmer, but you must cause that grain to germinate, to spring forth, and bring life and then fruit. Lord, would you do that through our planting, through our sowing, through our watering in these days. Be glorified uh, that the nations would rejoice in you. We would see people saved uh, through our gospel witness. We give you thanks, praise you for all you've done for us. Use us in these days. Lord Jesus, in your blessed name we do pray. All God's people said,